Episode 47, Mike Smirklow, founder and managing director of Next Coast Ventures, author of the book, Mr. Monkey and Me. The whole book is about self-doubt, fear, uncertainty, and self-doubt. And so I said my favorite mistake, because it drove me quite a bit, was probably giving into that. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com for show notes, links, and a chance to enter to win a signed copy of the book, Mr. Monkey and Me, go to markgraven.com slash mistake 47. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And now on with the show. I'm really happy to be joined today by Mike Smirklow. He is an entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's the co-founder and managing director of Next Coast Ventures based in Austin, Texas. I'm um, going back a bit. He was one of the first found uh, first employees at LoudCloud. He was recruited there by Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. And then 2003, he purchased a company called Service Source, a technology services startup of just 30 people. And as CEO there over the uh, next 12 years, he grew the business into a successful 3,000 person publicly traded company with close to 300 million in revenue. And so uh, more recently, and we'll talk about this today. Mike is author of the book, Mr. Monkey and Me, A Real Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs. Um, so, Mike, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. I, I have to say, um, you know, the title, and we'll get back to the book, Mr. Monkey and Me. At first, I thought it was a children's book, but then the subtitle kind of kind of steers you in the right direction then, right? Yeah, it's funny. Um, we had a lot of fun with the title and it, it and the monkey, Mr. Monkey is the real star of the book. So uh, we'll, we'll dig, get into that. But yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So um, I look forward to um, getting back to that. But, you know, first off, as as we do here on the show, um, and I know you've got a lot to, to dip into in terms of your experiences, Mike, but what would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, my favorite mistake is, and I'm not just here to talk about the book, but I, the whole book is about self-doubt, fear, uncertainty, and self-doubt. And so I said my favorite mistake, because it drove me quite a bit, was probably giving into that. And at times, and multiple times in my career, letting that voice, and I, I could give you, I, we go on for three hours about all the mistakes I made, but in particular situations where I didn't trust my gut, because mm -hmm. I was either imposter syndrome or felt that, gosh, I'm just not good enough, or I don't know what I'm doing. And rather go with that authentic voice, I went a different direction. I think that was a, something early in my career I really worked hard on mm -hmm. and then ended up uh, culminating in this book that I've written. Yeah. So, I mean, other guests have brought up, um, you know, this is a, a common dynamic, it seems, even amongst, you know, well-educated, high-performing people. I mean, is, is there a specific example that comes to mind? Yeah, I, I talk about this book, but I think early on, and I'll talk about early on as an entrepreneur, my, my, my favorite mistake was I, I, had, I had two role models. And I'll give a very specific example. A guy named Greg Reyes, who was a very successful tech entrepreneur, had run a company and he was kind of the alpha male. He was what I thought was a CEO did, you know, literally George Clooney, but a George Clooney meets football linebacker. <laughs> and I, uh, he was a mentor to mine. And I always thought that's what you do. You're assured, you're confident, you always know what you're doing. 
Then I go to work for a guy named Ben Horowitz, now legendary uh, in the right. tech world for Andreessen Horowitz and all the great work he's done. And Ben was a polar opposite. And Ben was very soft-spoken, not assertive, didn't get caught up in the title of being a CEO, but was incredibly effective from a different way. And so I think my favorite mistake or my biggest mistake early on was I tried to be a blend of the two of them. Mm. And I pulled it off for some period of time, but eventually it became exhausting. I, I, you know, who am I? Should I act like Greg? Should I act like Ben? You know, who, do, who, what role model should I pull upon? And then finally the exhaustion culminating me turning to my team and saying, I don't know what to do. It was about a specific employee. And I just said, I don't know what to do here. And it felt like I had just said the dumbest thing in the world. I literally, it was so uncomfortable for me to admit I didn't know what to do at this time in my entrepreneurship. And I watched the entire team, five or six executives turn to me with a look of, what did he just say? Mm -hmm. And then it turned into the most collaborative discussion. And we made some really important things about our culture. But that's probably, I would say, if I had one example of my favorite mistake, not my dumbest mistake, my favorite right. mistake was right. not being authentic. And then finally coming to realize just where it was, where it was costing me in the business and me and my leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so you're right. Yeah. A favorite mistake is different than um, a dumbest. And, you know, a lot of times mistakes just happen or, you know, it's, it's not necessarily our biggest mistake. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, asking for help, there, there are two schools on this, right? There's kind of traditional maybe leadership model that would view asking for help or admitting you don't know something as being a sign of weakness. I, I'm in the camp that views it as a, a sign of strength that you're yeah. willing to ask. Can, can, I was wondering if you can kind of elaborate a little bit more on this idea of asking for help as a leader. Yeah, it's interesting. Next case, we, we've done a lot of work. We've, you know, five years in, invested in 50 different companies, had some great successes. And we've been looking at what is it about entrepreneurs? And, and we've all been entrepreneurs, but what makes a great entrepreneur, all things being equal? And I would characterize it, Mark, in a combination of, of one self-awareness, understanding what you're good at and what you're not, and then that willingness to ask for help. I was just on a call before earlier today with an entrepreneur, one in our portfolio, and she was pinging me with a bunch of like, should I, should I, should I? And I'm not there to give her the answers, but I'm there to be a sounding board. So I think that that, and I didn't, another mistake I made much to this leadership thing is I didn't realize that vulnerability and seeking help and showing that vulnerability can be massively powerful for employees, for those you're trying to bring into the company, even for your investors, if it's done the right way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's actually one of the most, if not the most important aspects of entrepreneurship. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about when you say doing it the right way? Because there's it's probably a middle ground where you don't want to seem like you're somehow a complete mess. That might, yeah. <laughs> might be discouraging or scare people, but showing some amount of vulnerability or what, talk more about when you say doing it the right way. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I mean, the, the wrong way to do it is come in and actually seem like a mess. I have no idea what I'm doing. Or I think the second wrong way to do it is talking to a mentor, an investor, board member, and whatever they say, go and do. So I think that's the, the wrong way to do it. I think there's a right way to ask for help. And that is one to look at the source. Is the person you're seeking help from, do they have relevancy and skill and recency? So have they, have they done what you're trying to do recently and, and they know what you're trying to achieve? Second, you ask them a specific question. I wrote a blog about this, which is if someone says, hey, can I grab 15 minutes of your time? My answer is probably no. But if you say, can I, can I get 15 minutes of your time to talk about hiring a sales leader for North America? Much different ways to ask for help. And then once you get there, whatever the person says, you respect their time. And I think you simply say a phrase I love, which is, thank you very much. I'll take it under consideration. Mm -hmm. 
So you've gone to the right source, you've asked a very specific question, and you take that input not as doctrine, I must do this, but as shaping out your your viewpoint. And that's a real superpower that (laughs) took me way too long to learn. Took you too long to learn. But now you're helping others um, by, well, for one, by sharing the story and then between the book and the coaching that you do through um, through your firm. Yes. And passing that along. Yeah, Um, that's I mean, that's the whole that's the gift of what I'm so fortunate. I got to have a really great experience as being an entrepreneur, work with great entrepreneurs and now inspired every day by just how hard and amazing, amazingly courageous entrepreneurs. And then you're just trying to help where you can. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to maybe you know follow up on, I, th- I think it's interesting. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it back, but this idea of finding your own voice as a leader, like what's your authentic self? What's your leadership style? You talked about these two um, opposites. Um, I don't, are, are you a fan at all of uh, the movie, This is Spinal Tap? Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, 11, right? Yeah. And and there's another scene there um, where, uh, gosh, who was it? Derek Smalls, the bass player, is talking about um, the, the two guitarists. And he says, like, well, one of them is like um, uh, fire and one's like ice. And I'm kind of like lukewarm water. I'm, <laughs> I'm blowing the quote, but I think you know, that, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the idea. How do you blend those styles without ending up? I'm sure you were trying to be more than lukewarm water. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie, by the way. Just remind me, I got to go watch it again. Yeah. There's so many great quotes. The movie <laughs> itself is, you know, but just so many great quotes. You know, I do think, and, and I talk about this book, I think it's pyramidal. I think, you know, self-awareness is the key. What am I good at when I'm when I'm not good at? What do I like to do? What do I not like to do? So having that framework, getting some coaching around it. And I think once you have that, then you have more of a courage. And so what I tried to do, and I think I did it effectively at some point was, um, I was going to be, a, I was going to be a blend, but I wasn't going to be a whimsical blend. Meaning, I'm an aggressive, optimistic person. And then can I balance that and not let that be my only voice? So can I also have the ability to be self-aware, respectful, and understanding other people's needs? That's where I landed, for better, for worse. Yeah, I wish I would have meditated back when I was a CEO. Probably everyone who worked for me wish I would have meditated. But I just think there's something about mindfulness and understanding what you're good at that really allows the authentic voice to come out. And there's so many great books out there. So I didn't try and tackle it all in the book. I just said, yeah. it's one aspect that I think is important. Yeah. So meditation is something you picked up more recently. I do. I've been, since I since I retired, actually, which is <laughs> more than ironic. Yeah. But I started it about six years ago and it's become a daily practice. I've tried various forms of it. To me, it starts, my, I do it in the morning, starts my day off, gets me balanced, perspective. And then it reminds me to breathe throughout the day, which is also a good way for me to stay somewhat sane. Yeah, those moments of of taking a breath, and you know, when you talk about self awareness, um, that points to um, concepts around emotional intelligence. Indeed, and 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 uh, yeah, being able to take a breath, or I even think back to um, you know the late Stephen Covey, who who talked about the idea of um, I'm paraphrasing again, but separating uh, stimulus and response. Exactly, exactly. Choosing your response to to choosing your response to a situation. And not being, I always have a quote, I think it was maybe a cubby quote, but don't be a, don't be a thermostat, right? So, or a thermometer, right? You know, don't move up and down again, a principle that's super easy to uh, do. And then someone cuts you off on the freeway and you're immediately tasked with whether or not you can stay in that zone. But yeah, that's, that to me, from leadership, entrepreneurship, or hopefully just being a good human, it's really hard to do. Yeah. So um, I want to ask a question in thinking back to your time as CEO of service source 
And then, you know, now um, with Next Coast Ventures, when you're you're looking, I'm sure you have a lot of really smart, high IQ people coming across your radar. Um, how, how do you try to gauge and look at both IQ and EQ when it comes to either hiring someone as an employee or evaluating someone as um, an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a wonderful question, Mark. I don't know if I have a specific formula other than to say that is the, to me, that is the, that is the, the secret, right? When you're hiring folks to work with you as a leader and when we're evaluating entrepreneurs, it is that we're probably looking for that element more than anything else. So, so to give you an example in Next Coast, it's really simple. We're Austin-based. We're looking at things outside the coast, but it's how big is the market? Is there a disruptive solution? But then 99% of our debate comes down to the entrepreneur. Is she going to have that balance you described? Is she emotional intelligent? Uh, has the raw intelligence to understand the business and the challenges? We use a term called glass eater. It's a very un, uh, unattractive but visceral term. Uh, we we came up with it because we said, you know, imagine if you walked in and so you got to be a glass eater. If I gave you a, a handful of glass, you said, oh, gosh, that's what I have to do. We obviously, don't want our entrepreneurs to eat glass. We try and provide ketchup and mustard along the way. But it really speaks to the mindset that says, I'm going to do everything I can within legal and ethical boundaries to make this thing successful. And if you don't understand what that that's what it takes, you're probably going to stumble pretty early on. So I guess it's it's um, a matter of. Uh persistence or, you know, there's this goofy non-word that people use, stick-to-itiveness, right? To fight through, like eat that, that, that proverbial glass is not uh, pleasant to eat. But there are a lot of times as um, a founder or an early employee in a startup where the times are not going to be all fun and games and beer on five o'clock uh, Friday. And yeah. you, you've got to fight through the tough challenges. I guess you, you try to gauge someone's stomach for that. Absolutely. And I think we were talking earlier before you started about Shark Tank and I love Shark Tank. That's what my kids think I do, by the way. They think I <laughs> sit there on a, a nice couch uh, next to Mark Cuban and vote uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. opposite. But I think some of the things why I wrote this book was I started to see there was almost this fantasy island being created about entrepreneurship. And it's not helped by all the talk about unicorns and high valuations as we record this, you know, at the end of 2020. Really, I think the biggest challenge is for entrepreneurs, if you don't go in and understand that, yeah, there's going to be some fun beer Fridays and that's going to be great, but there's going to be a lot more nights waking up at three in the morning going, what the blank are we going to do? Yeah. You're going to get sit, turned down. Customers are going to leave. Employees are going to quit, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't understand that going in, I think it's a really dangerous thing that the media has done around you know, fantasizing or fetishizing uh, entrepreneurship because it's it's hard. Well, and so then I'm sure that's part of why you wrote the book. And I love asking authors, you know, why, why, you know, it's such a big undertaking. Why, why do this? And and there was a blog post of yours. I'm going to throw your own question back at you as you framed it. Why did you write this damn book? (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing. Uh, Same way, same reason I became an entrepreneur, because I was ignorant. (laughs) If if I had known how hard it was going to (laughs) be, I wouldn't have done it. But you know, that's the truth. But then I think the real point is it speaks to a little bit what I was just getting at. But I found this void. I found on one end, these super lightweight blogs. Uh, here's the five things that, you know, Jeff Bezos does before 6 a.m. Well, <laughs> Jeff Bezos is the wealthiest man in the world. He's running a massive company. And for 99.9999% of entrepreneurs out there, whatever he does before 5 a.m. isn't going to help you. 
I'm sorry, if he gets up and does a cold plunge and eats a, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then the other version is um, a, a very practical, specific, here's how to write a business plan. Here's how to go drive uh, a PowerPoint deck to raise capital. Those are very helpful and practical, but again, they don't get to the thing in the middle. And I found that one hand, whenever I read those blog posts around what Jeff Bezos does morning, I'd like, it was like eating Doritos when I'm really hungry. When I'm done, I'm still hungry. I feel disgusted. <laughs> I get all over my hands. Like, what have I done? And so I tried to take an approach. And I've been doing this in my blog to say, what was the advice I wish I had gotten? Mm. What did I learn from working with guys like Mark and Ben, my own experience, and now at Next Coast? How can I bring some of that together and really help with the mental side? Because the other thing I'd say is I think getting started is hard. Keeping after it's hard. But then being successful can be just as hard. And we've been, you know, unfortunately this year in 2020, we've seen some really bad examples of people kind of losing their noodle at the high end of it when they've achieved success. And I think it all comes back to to mental tenacity and mental toughness. Yeah. And so the monkey or, or, or Mr. Monkey, um, it, it, in, in the book description, it, it talks about what it represents. So I mean, I, it, to me, it makes me think of, uh, the proverbial monkey on your back, but what, what tell, tell us more about Mr. Monkey and what that means. Yeah. It was a joke is like the star of the book because what I found early on in my career and I, the other side note is I'm the first person from my family ever go to college. I did not grow up in a, I talked about it earlier in the book. I don't grow up with a, a shiny role models of what success looked like. I just knew I wanted to get out of Toledo, Ohio. No offense to Toledoans out there, but I, I wanted to get out. I didn't know how. And I found the more I pulled away, and I think a lot of your listeners and a lot of entrepreneurs, um, anyone who's tried to bring change in their life can rep- feel this. It's like when you start to pull away from your old experience, voices externally, but also in my head would say, oh, you're not good enough. Or what are you doing? You're, you're not ready for this. And that voice kind of plagued me through different parts of my career. And I finally started to say, I got to do something about this. And I made him a monkey. So it can be whatever you want. But for me, it's a big, hairy male monkey. He kind of jumps up in front of me, like before this podcast said, oh, you're going to stumble. You're going to say something stupid. It's a negative voice inside my head. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has it. I think it shows up in different ways and has different repercussions. But what I try to do is one, admit it's there, highlight that everyone has it, and then provide very specific tools and a formula to try and address it. And uh, I, I was born in Ohio, quick detour from the conversation, um, born in Dayton. But my dad was the first to go to college and he wanted to get out of Youngstown, Ohio. No yeah. offense to Youngstown. Very similar town. Very similar town. Yeah. Um, but um, another commonality in a way in our background um, for the listeners, uh, you know, Mike uh, went to the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, um, which is where I attended um, undergrad. And um, I, I don't know, have you, did you pick up at all uh, being a fan of Northwestern sports or the football team at all? I, you know, is it hard, Mark. I grew up in that area where I had rooted for Michigan my entire life. So I, I've had, uh, I've been a Michigan fan. And, and when I was at Northwestern, I think it was like the first year that Northwestern beat them in like a hundred years or something. So, <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm, I'm more of a Michigan fan, but more of a Big Ten, Big Ten fan, broadly speaking. Yeah. And, and people don't realize Toledo is closer to Ann Arbor than it is to Columbus and Michigan and Ohio almost went to war over Toledo. They did. They actually traded it. They used to be part of Michigan and they traded Toledo for the Upper Peninsula. Uh, That was a heck of a trade. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure there's a podcast out there uh, about that whole story. But the the reason I brought up Northwestern football, um, so Northwestern got back to the Rose Bowl 1996, New Year's Day. And then they got to bowls and then, but they kept losing. 
like the only bowl game they'd ever won was the first Rose Bowl back in 1949. They had lost, I think, maybe. So the good news was they were going to bowl games. The bad news is they had lost eight or nine or ten in a row. And so the, the, their coach, Pat Fitzgerald, talked about this monkey on their back. And when they yep. find like they had a stuffed monkey that they kept on the sideline when they went to bowl games. And they finally, I don't know if they named him Mr. Monkey, but when they finally won um, the uh, the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, they kind of, they kind of celebrated with uh, with with their monkey. So that's it's kind of, you know I, you know it, I don't know if at some point you know um, yeah that you've got to get that negative talk of we can't win one or uh, thinking about what that means in terms of somebody who's going out making pitches. Exactly, and I think that the other thing I found that's a great story I didn't know about Northwestern, especially my ties there, but. Um, I think the thing is it doesn't go away. The voice may change over time. Early on in my career, early on, I thought, gosh, if I could get into a school like Northwestern and graduate and then get a job on Wall Street, I could work for Mark Andreessen, I make some money. I mean, each of these milestones, I assumed that the monkey would just stop at one point. <laughs> and what I found is the sneaky son of a gun kept changing his tone and his messages to me. And that was that's actually why I wrote the book, because I thought, gosh, I've done all this stuff and I still can't get the son of a gun to shut up. So um, some way to, to try and help with that process. Yeah. Wow. Ugh, Mr. Monkey, you know, but no, that, but thank you for sharing that. Cause that's, that's a interesting perspective. You've had success in so many different dimensions and it sounds like the book was a different challenge. And here's the irony. Mr. Monkey was probably sowing doubt about the book you were writing about Mr. Monkey. Yeah. I mean, if, spoil it. By the way, all the proceeds of the book go to charity. I always forget to mention that it goes to a scholarship I set up for uh, diverse and underrepresented students interested in entrepreneurship. So anyone who's listening and wants to buy the book, know that it's going um, to a worthwhile cause. But it, yeah, my, the ending of the book, uh, I'm not stealing. It's a pretty quick read. But I talk about how the monkey was still there kind of going, oh, are you going to finish this thing? Yeah, yeah. No one's going to read this thing. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. Well, thanks. That's that's great to know. It's going uh, proceeds are going to a good cause. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about the book. There's a, a shape formula or a model, and uh, you and other some of my other guests have good acronyms. I don't have that skill. So, um, for for the listeners, what is the shape formula, and, and what does that mean to you? Yeah, what what it does is in, in lay it out in the book. It just says here's five attributes that I think are really important for mental toughness, and most of them I didn't master, but I saw someone else do. And there it's the shape formula. S is for self-awareness. H is for help. A is for authenticity. P is for persistence. And E is for expectations. And I try and one, tell what that means, share some stories around it. And each chapter, there's very specific tactical things you can do to try and uh, accumulate or achieve or bring into this your life some of these attributes. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of connections to the themes we talk about here on the podcast. I guess for one, self-awareness of realizing you've made a mistake. Yep. I think we all know people who maybe stumble through different situations and maybe are unaware that there's a mistake. Um, and then um, authenticity, I guess, comes back to that style of leadership of authenticity means being willing to admit mistakes. That's like, And then uh, persistence. You probably need a lot of persistence after you've made mistakes or you think you've made a mistake. Yep. Yeah. And then and, and persistence is so the authenticity, I think, gives you persistence. And it's not exactly Maslow's hierarchy needs, but it, it tends to flow that way, in my opinion, because if you get the first three right, then you have a persistent mindset. And then E, expectations, understanding that. And as I say, there's a beginning, middle and end to every entrepreneurial journey. 
what, what your expectations should be at the beginning are going to change over time mm-hmm. and being able to consistently think I like it. It's like a roller coaster ride. Uh, it's going to go up and down. It's going to be all a bunch of turns. If you expect it to be different, you're going to be disappointed. And if you expect those turns to never to stop, they just keep getting bigger. Um, it's that's that's the final part of it, and it never really ends. Yeah. Um, and I guess you know these cycles of mistakes that that we make. I flub up a little bit in the introduction. It happens. Um, there, there are probably some uh, common mistakes that startups that are seeking venture funding make. So maybe some one other um, topic for you. Um, is, is there a mistake that's common enough that you would consider it to be not a biggest mistake, but a favorite mistake and that it's something that startups can learn from because they've made the mistake themselves or they can learn from others? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the one I would say the most so we all we love passion, enthusiasm, entrepreneurs. I think the biggest mistake I see that startup founders seeking venture funding do over and over again is coming in and being ignorant of competition. Mm. And that that sounds kind of basic, but mm-hmm. let's talk about your podcast. If I said, you know, Mark, you've got a very unique podcast. I've not seen anyone else, any other content like yours. So you could assert you have no competition, <laughs> but then I might bring up Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss. Right. Right. So. Um, what what I find over and over again is you want to describe, describe your solution, describe or tell why it's different, but don't ignore direct competition or substitutes. And I see it over and over again. I love to put that out there in the world because I think your success in raising capital, the more you can acknowledge that, show why you're different and how you're going to attack the competition. And it might just be a substitute is a big mistake I see. And I think it's a pretty easy one to to fix. Yeah. So a substitute would be any other podcast that's in someone's app of like, what do I tap? You know, what do I tap on next? Or which one do I subscribe to next? You're right. They're 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 yeah. Everyone is starting a podcast these days. No, no, yeah. And I mean, I, I do I do really think you've got a great a great topic, and it is highly unique. But if asked about competition, yeah, to simply say, here's my content. So yeah, it's 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 pretty common mistake, and again, really one easy to fix. Yeah. So competing for time is a <laughs> challenging um, thing. So I do appreciate for anyone who is hearing this, they've chosen to spend uh, some time with us. So um, so that's great. But yeah, you think of um, a software company, and they might say, well, our software company, our software is unique. But the buyer has a lot of choices of what they're going to uh, allocate budget to. So, yeah, nobody's without competitors, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually then also that tends to tie back to what we talked about earlier around EQ, IQ. Do you understand how all the complexities are involved with uh, with starting a business? Well, um, I think there's going to be a lot. Uh, I'm going to check out Mr. Monkey and uh, and me. Um, our, our guest has been Mike Smirklow. Um Entrepreneur, Managing Director of Next Coast Ventures. Uh, again, the full title of the book, Mr. Monkey and Me, A Real Survival Guide uh, for Entrepreneurs. Um, that, that frames it well, right? Uh, you, if you're chewing glass, you're surviving that, not enjoying that, right? Yeah. But um, but thank you. And, and where can uh, people find more? I know you've got a website. Where, where can people find you online, Mike? Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's um, my name. My last name is Smirklow, S-M-E-R-K-L-O, not the easiest last name, but under my blog, MikeSmirklow.com, there's a bunch of uh, tools and resources for entrepreneurs. There is a free chapter of the book, so you can check it out. You can order the book there. And it's also got a pretty fun 
quiz for entrepreneurial readiness that we created just to give you some idea of the flavor of, of what it takes. So that's where it is. And, and all my, my social handles are all Mike Smirklow. So thank you. Well, good. I hope everyone will check that out. And uh, for those who are new to the podcast, um, we made reference to Shark Tank going all the way back to episode one. Uh, Kevin Harrington, one of the original Shark Tanks, was one of the guests there in that episode. But today, Mike Smirklow, really appreciate it. Really enjoy uh, getting the chance to pick your brain a little bit and to learn about the book. And thanks thanks for sharing your perspectives on uh, favorite mistakes. Thanks, Mark. It was great, uh, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks again to our guest, Mike Smirklow, and thank you for listening. For show notes, you can go to markgraben.com slash mistake44. And that's actually a mistake. Go instead to markgraben.com slash mistake47. Don't forget to go there and enter to win a copy, a signed copy of Mike's book, Mr. Monkey and Me. And you can find all of the contests where you can enter to win books from previous guests. Go to markgraben.com slash contests. Thanks for subscribing if you've already done so. Please rate and review us if you have the chance on your favorite app of choice. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.